What's sicker than a truckload of dead babies? What? The live one on the bottom trying to eat her way out. <laughs> what was the last thing on Kurt Cobain's mind? Um, a gunshot shell. His teeth. <laughs> What's the difference between a small child and an eight ball of cocaine? Oh, I, I want to say an answer, but I'm afraid to because it's really dark. Eric Clapton wouldn't let an eight ball of cocaine fall out of a 53rd story window. <laughs> uh, I got one. Okay, so uh, go there was a, a pedophile and a little boy walking through the woods. And the little boy's like, man, it's scary out here. And the pedophile's like, you're scared? I have to walk back alone. <laughs> I like dark it's jokes. Terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> so I got all those dark jokes from Facebook. The three people I got them from were Tom Tobin. Greg McKenzie and Alex Kramer. So shout out to them. I posted a status on Facebook that said, give me the darkest joke you've ever heard. And people turned out. There was like 50 jokes on there. Was there any like color uh, reference jokes? Like the darkest, like someone made like a color reference? There was a few, yeah. Okay. But they were racial. So I'm not, oh, not going to say God. those ones. Yeah, no. Welcome to the Poptimists. <laughs> so nice to see you. You can like, share, and give a rating on the Apple Store. Tell a friend about the show. Follow me on Instagram, the underscore Poptimist. TikTok, the Poptimist. You guys on TikTok? I have it, but I don't go on it very often. I fucking love TikTok. I do not TikTok. (laughs) And then Twitter is at Optimist. Today we have Michelle Stone and Jenna Rose. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you guys doing today? Thank you for having us. I'm excited. Of course. So you guys have been doing a show called Fun and Games on YouTube with Ground Un- Underground Music Collective? Yes. Mm-hmm. How did that start? Um, so originally when I met Jenna, she was writing for Underground Music Collective. Um, and I came on and I met Gerard and started writing for him. And um, I just sat down with them because, you know, I've always wanted to do a podcast of some sort. Um, my original goal was to do a podcast called Geeked because I am a big comic book fan and like, um, film fan and stuff. And I wanted to do a podcast based on comics and stuff. So I've always wanted to do something like that. Um, and coming out of the Underground Music Collective, I was like, this is like a perfect opportunity, but in another kind of aspect with music. Um, so I pitched the idea of like, yo, what if we did a podcast and we played games and Gerard and Jenna were immediately like, absolutely. And then we all started throwing in ideas and then it just came to life. Now it's taking off. So, so you interview bands on the show Yeah, you're playing games with them drinking, doing all sorts of fun things. Yeah, and the idea is to, you know, it started out like Jenga and like cards and stuff, but um, we eventually want to get set up to where we can do like ping pong and play pool with them and do like cocktails. So there's a lot of fun, more fun aspect of the fun and games to come, but we're getting off the ground with sound. I mean, you're a podcast guy, you know how that is. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and it started out with artists. We do want to eventually move to people who are just creating as well and not just artists, but for right now, yeah, it's music artists that we interview. Yeah, we wanted it to be more uh, like a, an informal kind of interview, something that uh, people are comfortable having fun and not so kind of, um, you know, the mundane classic questions. We wanted to get people really involved and excited to be there and have yeah. a good time. So. so you started writing for Underground Music yeah. Collective first. So I um, I know Gerard, who is the founder, uh, from working in the music industry. We ha- we had some artists that we were um, mutually working with. And so that's how he and I connected. And we kind of 
right away we just had this kind of kinship um and so i started getting involved with underground music collective um started doing sort of a little bit of consulting with him um and then also was was writing um reviews and and content for him as well so just kind of getting involved where i could and where he needed me um and so i had been doing that for uh i had been working with him in some capacity for about a year um, when I moved here and then when, when Michelle came on and we all kind of started, um, growing it into this, adding things in like fun and games. So were you already writing for underground music collective before you moved to Nashville? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So were you kind of, uh, casting out a net before you moved here? Or was this just something serendipitous? Um, I actually uh, was working with a couple artists that lived here when I was living in California. So I had some connections here. Um, and that's how I met Gerard. And so that's how I got involved with all of that. Very cool. Yeah. It's a great city to be in. I know you were saying before we started that you've been here for a year now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On the, were, on the 15th was a year, yeah. In Northern California. Mm -hmm. And you kind of went through some life changes mm -hmm. yeah. that led you to here. Yeah. Um, so I had uh, I had a whole kind of career path laid out for me. I was working in the event um, management industry. And, um, and I was married and I had a house. And, um, and we my ex and i decided that we uh our marriage wasn't working out um and at the same time i lost my job that i was in um in the event industry and that happened all at once um so i took that opportunity to uh to shift my focus and decided that you know i'd always been really passionate about music and always wanted it to be my career but i I had kind of gotten sidetracked into events. And so that was an opportunity for me to, to realign with my dreams and go dive full into the music industry. And I knew that I needed to, I had grown up where I was living and, um, I knew that I needed to live somewhere else in order to really have a fresh start because I felt like I was going to just kind of I wasn't going to grow as much as I needed to grow. I wasn't going to change. I wasn't going to I needed to get out of the headspace I was in and have a new experience in life. So I knew I needed to get out of that, that area, at least temporarily. And, um, as soon as I realized that Nashville was, it just kind of decided itself in my head. And I didn't really have, I, I knew a couple people here, like I was saying, but I didn't have, um, a real reason to be here other than that. I had never considered it. I had visited I think once before that, but for a short period of time and didn't really have a handle on the city. I just, for whatever reason, I just knew that Nashville was where I was going to move. And, um, but I'm a planner. And so then I, I was like, okay, well that's an irrational decision. So let me make a list of all these possible cities I could go to and reasons why they would be good or bad or whatever. So I, I did this pros and cons list and Nashville was just like so completely obvious that it was the best place to be. So I was like, well, right, that's, that's it. That's, that's where I'm moving. So I started making that, that plan to, to move here. And, um, yeah, but then the house, uh, took five months to sell instead of five weeks, like the realtor had predicted. And, um, by the time it did sell, the pandemic had just hit. And so I moved across the country. Uh, I had a whole plan of how I wanted to move with like a caravan of friends and everything. And um, 
It all went out None the of that. Yeah, none of that happened. Nothing went according to plan. So I left and went across the country by myself, which was the farthest I've ever driven alone. And I was really scared to do that, but um, it ended up being really healing and a really wonderful, peaceful experience. You can figure out a lot about whatever is rattling around in your mind on a long drive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Where it's just you, the radio, podcast, silence, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But I find the act of driving to really clear my mind. Yeah, it was, it was, I was not expecting it to be so healing. And it really was. It was like everything I needed at that time, for sure. Well, it was you physically driving away from the situation yeah. it was literally in your rearview mirror yeah 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 it was and and i was alone ahead of me like you know it was it was just me by myself with all my things and no idea what was going to happen because even the plans that i had tried to make those all fell through you know it was i just had it was the middle of the pandemic or the beginning of the pandemic so yeah. it was the scariest time in the pandemic and um yeah, it was it was a crazy, weird experience. So you moved here, and the, is the way that you guys met through Underground Music Collective? No. <laughs> how did you meet? I don't know how um, much you want to say about Through this. a mutual friend. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We met through a mutual friend, and yeah, that's all I'm really comfortable saying, I guess. Okay. <laughs> I understand. I won't ask any further questions about that. Um. So you have Music City Movement. Mm-hmm. How did that start? Was it this based out of your friendship? Um, yeah, so I'm born and raised in Nashville. I'm a Nashville native. Um, I've been a here unicorn. My, <laughs> that's what they say. Um, I've been here my whole life. Um, I've, of course, moved out and lived and stuff. But Music City Movement started because when me and Jenna met, um, I, I, I've always loved music because I've been born and raised here and I've been around it. Um, but when we met, we just somehow went into the music scene together. Like it just kind of happened. Um, and we found that we didn't like the way that people were running things. So we were like, why don't we just start our own thing? And that's yeah, kind of how it happened. We had had, we'd been having a lot of conversations about it cause we were both involved with, with a bunch of stuff. And so as everything was happening, we would be having these conversations in the background and we just kind of realized that we, we had exactly the same ideas and when you know when we one person would think of something the other person would bounce off of it and we came up with all these great ways to do things so when we saw um when we saw kind of the ways that things weren't functioning uh to their full potential we were having discussions about like well if we just do this on our own like we could do a really good job of it. Cut out the middleman. Yeah. yeah. Kind of start our own. And we sped up in the scene pretty quickly with meeting everybody. So it got to a point where everybody was kind of encouraging us to do that Mm -hmm. and pushing us to do it. So we were like, it was a no brainer at that point. Yeah. So what exactly do you do with music city movement? Like what are your goals or your intentions for artists? Cause it sounds like what you're really trying to do is, is help artists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would say that our um, our mission is to build a uh, a supportive community around original uh, independent artists that are local here in Nashville, mostly local here in Nashville, but we do also take in people from other areas. Um, but really, the intention is to because Nashville is um, 
it's not really a city where you grow your fan base. It's it's a hub for the you know all the people who create a place the music. of resources. Yeah, exactly. And so the goal isn't necessarily to grow in the sense of exposing you to a lot of new you as an artist exposing you to a lot of new fans it's more exposing you to relationships that you can develop and having um really building tight bonds between people so that the people who you meet and support and interact with can support you in other ways um and and locally here you know can show up to your shows but also um now you have these friends that are also in the industry and have other things to offer you other than just being there for support um and so we really are trying to grow a community around the scene around the original music scene and also to get you know because being creators ourselves um you know i'm a musician too i'm not a musician to the level of degree that a lot of people are i'm very baby step but we want to see our friends get out of the nine to five working their day jobs and then playing music we want to live in a world where our friends can just live off music and they don't have to work jobs that kill their you know and then go because we have so many friends it's the same story i have to work you know a 10-hour day and then i have to go play a show where i'm not getting paid yeah and in in this city especially i've seen it being born and raised here people take advantage of music you know broadway you see people they they just think that it's like something there they deserve and they don't see how much effort goes into it and we like absolutely see that and so we definitely want to build a community where we can start making nashville a creator hub of where people are making a living off that yeah we want to help reset the standard where artists are are paid um because respected right, yeah, yeah because right now in the industry um it's it people in general don't really have the mindset to pay for art Mm-hmm. And um, so we're trying to contribute to helping reset that that standard where, no, these are these are musicians. This is their job and they are making a living. And so yeah. you pay for the for for their service. And our slogan for the love of it is it really comes from the fact that, you know, we we heard someone say, um, well, we don't do this for the money. We do it for the love of it. And in our mind, we're like, well, isn't that love? That's supporting people and giving them compensation for their time. So by you saying you're doing the love of it, you're you're doing it selfishly. You're not. That is love. Is helping your helping your friends, and you know colleagues build up. And in in this world, money is one of those. So yeah, to, us, to be that able to be love. sustainable, doing what they love, you know that that takes money. If you if you're going to be able to to do something that you're passionate about for a living, you have to be paid for it. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to sustain it. And so that's that that's love is making sure that those people can sustain what they're doing. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's hard here too because there's so many either people in the industry they don't give a fuck about you or they're trying to prey upon you, mm-hmm. take advantage of you. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen it happen a million times. I mean, now that. I mean, you've been here your whole life, so you've you've seen it probably time and time again. I've been here mm-hmm. for six years, and I've seen so many people just, they come here with a dream, and then they're flying high for maybe the first six months of the first year, and they burn out mm-hmm. because they had one bad gig of someone reaching into their pocket or something like that, and, and that can be demoralizing to an artist a bunch yeah. of people have left just because of covid mm-hmm. you know it's interesting that you came here in the mm-hmm. time of covid right because it's the reverse of what's happening for creative types in the city right now so many are having to leave because they can no longer support themselves yeah 
And yeah. it's a real struggle. And it would be very easy to burn out if you are constantly running the circuit and not getting paid not for it. Paid. You know, yeah. so or you're doing twelve dollar jobs playing cover songs and you got people requesting all these songs, you know, like on Broadway, it's a perfect example of how taken advantage of musicians are. You know, you have people busking, I think busking is the term, mm-hmm. on the side of the street trying to make a living and that just like breaks my heart because people are just like, Oh, whatever, you know, there's playing music and you're like, There's so much that goes into playing music that is so hard to do and without music what would this world be you know it would, we, nobody would want to live in this world I, I don't think well every culture across the world has two things music and their own version of cuisine no matter if it's a remote jungle in the Amazon New York City London um, Berlin every culture has their version of music and food and it tells the story of a culture it tells the story of people because music is truly the sound of the divine. It is. It's that thing we can't explain. It's a ethereal. Mm-hmm. It's just out there. Mm-hmm. And when you hear it, you understand. It's, it's natural. Like, yeah. Birds, yeah. the you know, it's natural. It's supernatural. Yeah, supernatural. Like, yeah, exactly. The right artist, the right song at the right time can change. The whole Everything. world. Can, yeah, can change yeah. the world. Yeah. yeah. It can change individual lives. I just think of the music that I really listened to growing up that had such a great impact on me, like The Killers. I love The Killers growing up. They're one of my favorite bands of all time, one of the reasons I first started playing music. And the album Samstown by them, which is like a critically acclaimed album, but at the time it was thrashed. People hated that album because it was so different from their first record. But so much of it, it it was such a personal experience because I grew up in a very small town and it was all about like the small town mindset, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So coming to Nashville, it was like I was getting to to live my dream and it's still something that stays with me today. Yeah. And it's like that for everybody. Everybody here in this room, everybody in Nashville has a story of a song that changed their life or saved their life. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And also to piggyback kind of what you said with Music City Movement, you know, we really want to kind of not destroy but take away the ideology that certain because right now with music it's if you're not a certain name no one really cares oh yeah and we want to take that away because we talk about all the time being in nashville anybody can be somebody Mm -hmm. so it's good to be humble and to treat everybody the same you know and we want to create a music environment where you don't have to be this big name to matter everyone's equal everyone's a creator there's not any you know well unless you're this band well they're so big we don't there's no larger than life artists we're all just people living on a planet and we should be treating each other because I know we both ran into, you know, especially in the scene, more so people that are controlling the musicians. They have a very big ego and they act like they're, they're fucking very, assholes. They act holier than thou. And you're just like, you're going to be brought down to earth very quickly and it's going to happen. Everything is changing. I think the greatest thing that ever fucking happened was MP3s being able to go online. Yeah. Because it changed the game for artists. Mm-hmm. It took a trickle down of several years, but now people are starting to come around to the fact that you should not be signed to a major label because a major label will fuck you. Yeah, yeah. and that your heroes are all weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, know, you totally. have these idea of these people and you meet them and you're like, oh crap, well, that's just a person and they're actually kind of a piece of crap. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I feel like that's coming more known. So people are starting to realize like, oh wow, this big industry that's been created is like, nothing yeah it's false well i think it got destroyed in 2020 as well just the whole idea of hollywood and the entertainment industry Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it got shown for what it truly was Mm because 
there was all those celebrities who, like that uh, Gal Gadot. She posted that video of her and all the other celebrities singing Imagine. And, like people's grandparents are dying. People are out of work. And it's like, fuck you. You're singing this house. Yeah, like, you're singing you? this in a, like a mansion yeah, out yeah. in the Hollywood Hills. One of your five mansions that you have. Yeah. While there are people. That's yeah. something I struggle with on a humanity level to live in a world where there are people, the 1% living beautifully and graciously and you have the 99% living check to check like to me that's not humane that's why would you want to live in a world like that it's the human story it's mm-hmm. happened all throughout human history yeah oh, every yeah. single empire has had their one percent and they've all fallen and they've all fallen it's happened time and time again the thing that's different this time at least i'm hoping fingers crossed is that we have the internet right and that's we have the huge... power of communication and that's um that's a huge so going off of everything that was just said Right now, not using the term loosely now, but is the first time that musicians, independent musicians, have ever been able, have been in a position to be able to create a sustainable career for themselves. Yes. And that is because of the internet. It's because of the MP3s and, and the whole record industry crashing back in, you know, 2000-ish. And... um and now there is this opportunity. There is still a big a big mindset out there that it's still operating in the old ways and people that aren't kind of up to date still have this dream of getting discovered and getting signed and all this stuff. But um, in reality, if you are doing your your research and you do know what's going on and you and you know how to and and you're figuring out how to work the system in your favor, you can absolutely have a successful independent career that you run by yourself or with a small yes. team of people that you have. And that's the only that's the first time it's that it's ever happened. Like For that. sure, no, one hundred percent. And it's like you you might not sell. 200 million records but you don't or, need to or even 20 million because you're not trying to pay a whole entire team of record executives exactly you can you can sell 200,000 and do it independently and you end up making more money than mm-hmm. if you sold and you have all the control million. over your own career your own yes. decisions your own music I you're think putting that- good energy into the environment too like because they're imagine the songs right now that are selling which I can you know one that just went viral WAP um the big songs that are selling out it's like the energy and stuff that it's putting into the world is is not good whereas we have these small artists that are making these beautiful songs and so even if you only sell a third of that the energy you're putting out is more valuable than anything that you could do mm-hmm. well there's so many great artists too that are based out of nashville i, I think of like cage the elephant the black keys jack white we kind of are the epicenter for rock artists now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's here. Mm-hmm. This it's, is where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of undercover, undercover music scenes too. Like there's a huge EDM scene. There's just, you just got to know where to look really. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It, there's several different scenes in Nashville. Uh, I used to, so I worked at these apartments and I worked with this guy, his name was Richard and he was like an old school Nashville drummer. He played with like Willie back in the day and a bunch of people like that. And he always told me, he's like, Nashville is like a beehive and there are all these honeycombs within it because there's the East Nashville scene, like the Mm -hmm. rock scene. Mm -hmm. And then that even splits off into different groups. Mm -hmm. There's the blues scene. There's a huge blues circuit here. That's how I kind of started in Nashville with playing, was playing at these blues jams. It's how I met Josh and Dustin from The Reveal. Oh, nice. And how I became, yeah, how I became great friends with them. 
there's a little jazz scene here. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's a singer-songwriter scene. Um, there's a huge EDM scene. Sacred Hive, um, Jared Autry, shout out. He started Sacred Hive. He's based out of here. And Sacred Hive is a festival that's thrown, it's, I don't know how far it is, like an hour away from Nashville. Um, but they just started it two years ago. But it's an EDM festival that was started by Native Nashvilleans, ran by Native Nashvilleans. And people, a lot of people don't even know about it. But it happens every year. That's the benefit to living here is just getting to know people. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Re- the real yeah. people. Right. It took me some time to find it because I hit it off pretty good with Josh and Dustin as soon as I met them because they came from like a small town. So we had a similar experience because we came from kind of like factory towns. So that, that was relatable right away. And as time went on, I just slowly started building friendships with people like some great friends of mine are the weird sisters do you guys know them oh yeah yeah Yeah. love them i fucking love the weird sisters they're so good they're some of my my best friends but um yeah just meeting them like i met them at uh exit in we saw a bad bad not good show they're a great band by the way if you haven't heard them Mm -mm. um and they played on my recording that i did at blackbird and it's just all these random things can happen just by being here like I got to record at Blackbird for free, but it was because of a guy I met out at the Blues Jams who was a great guitar player, and I was playing with him. We became friends and really hit it off, uh, Ronnie Bates. And um, but yeah, it's just so funny how things can work. In Millhouse, I met him. He became the producer of the show. We were roommates, so we had, he had I never met him before, and he just moved in, and we struck up uh, a great lifelong friendship so it's so random how things can transpire just by being here and that's that's something really magical about nashville especially so coming from california you would think there would be all this opportunity in california you know it's it's california you think just anything could happen but really in nashville there i mean a hundredfold opportunities than than I ever had in in California trying to be you know in in the music industry in the modeling world all of it like anything in entertainment wise here there's there are people everywhere that all want to participate yeah and they all want to help each other and that kind of brings it kind of full circle back to music city movement which is what we're trying to do is is cultivate this space for people to meet each other so that they can you know it's just there's so much of that here everywhere you turn there's an opportunity and almost all of those opportunities are through through networking through the people that you meet and and through who you know and there's always anytime i have a conversation about something that i want to do Someone in the room says, oh, I know a guy. You should talk to him. And then they give me the number and we connect and whatever. But it's like you can think of anything and somebody knows somebody or they're, or that person is in the room right then. And you just you have a really productive conversation or you make plans to make some, something happen. But it's like things are happening here because people, the people that are here are here to get shit done. Yeah, they're creating, they're creating to create, whereas in the environment you spoke of, they're creating for clout. Mm-hmm. just a to create times, yeah. to mm-hmm. get popular get fame get names you know i've heard so many experiences of people going over to california specifically which it can be a lot of it doesn't have to be just california but it's an environment where it's almost like pariahs because it's like everyone wants to create not because they're like oh i want to work with you and i want to make art they're like i wonder where this can get me yeah exactly. i wonder how far this can get me and it's like here people don't people work for free you know there's so many photographers like our photographer josh trotter shout out um who did our music city movement stuff like he's done so many shoots with us and he is like 
I don't need to be paid. Like he just wants he to do it because he just wants yeah. to be there. Because yeah. he's a fan. Mm-hmm. He's a fan. Yeah. And he believes in what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, ultimately, the the goal is for anything that you are contributing for free, that eventually that comes back around and that you mm-hmm. will be paid for it. And that is our intention, absolutely. For sure. I mean, we, we all got to eat. We all got to pay rent, pay our bills and all that shit. It's just like, it's it's been cool for me to see artists that I'm friends with grow over the years. Because like, I've, I've been working with... Um, Josh Norfleet, he on his, some of his solo stuff. We recorded at Trashman Studios uh, out in Springfield. Yep, Pleasant View. Pleasant View, which is right next to Springfield. Millhouse works out there, nice. so we have access to this recording studio. We were able to do it, and we've been working on the project, something really professional. So it's been cool to see, just like personally, one of my friends blossom and develop into a solo artist. Yeah. yeah. Versus you, you, you start to see all the different layers of someone. Mm. Yeah. When they're put into an environment where they're given the opportunity to thrive, like that's magic. Um, you know, people, a lot of times it's just, it's lack of opportunity, but imagine, imagine what anyone could do with all the opportunities that cater to their strengths. And this Nashville is just a, a really amazing place for that. So you do some management stuff too, right? You mm-hmm. help out small independent artists kind of get things off the ground. What is exactly that you do? Yeah, I do. Um, it, it kind of is case by case exactly what I do. Um, but for example, I, I have been working with The Reveal um, doing this where we just kind of um, usually the way it goes is is we sit down in a room together and we figure out um, what their goals are. Um and what their timeline is for that. And then we put together a, a, a step-by-step um, in order to get those goals accomplished. An action plan. An action plan to get their goals accomplished. And, and usually this is um, in the case of artists who don't necessarily have the resources to have a full team. And um, so they're all things that a lot of times that they know, they theoretically know how to do, but don't have there's just so much going on inside the mind oh, yeah. of an artist. You, you know, you have all of your, all the things you're trying to create, um, all the things that, all the steps that take place in order to get those things created. But then there's also the whole business side of like, of managing your business, budgeting, uh, planning tours, not so much this year, but, um, or last year, but you know, in the scope of things, planning tours, booking, all the, all that kind of stuff. And um, it's too much for one person or you know it it can be too much for for somebody who's just trying to create art like that's their strength and then there's this whole business side and so what i try to do is help them get a handle on the business side of it um so we'll take all of their floating ideas you know and we'll and we'll bring them back down into an action plan so that they don't have to think about what steps come, you know, what, cause they're sometimes thinking 20 steps ahead, but aren't figuring out how to get to that point. And so that's, that's what I try to help them do is break it down and get, get to an achievable, you know, bite-sized goals. Yes, exactly. And, um, and then ultimately the, 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 the hope is that they are able to create these, um, habits and learn how to break things down into bite-sized goals so that they don't need to we don't need to continue having these meetings they're able to then learn kind of how to manage themselves until they get to a point where they are successful enough to to hire a team you know or get to that that other point um 
but I try to help them figure it out while they're, while they're on a smaller scale and trying to manage it themselves. Well, being a small independent artist, there's all these things you have to consider. You have to consider social media, mm -hmm. keeping your Instagram on point, doing what you need to for that. You have to consider whatever you're streaming on, whether it be YouTube and how to get people to even pay attention to mm -hmm. what you're doing strategizing yeah all of that stuff all, all of that is it's all things that people are experts in people somewhere out there are experts people you know spend a lot of time figuring out how to how to um tackle all these things and that's not as an artist it's takes so much time away from your creative process in order yes. to try to figure out how to get a handle on all these things and so that's part of where i come in if i don't know what those strategies are i'm the person that goes and researches it and then we figure out a, a, a you know i'm not necessarily an expert on all of these things but i can get, have my head wrapped around it enough to help uh, help these artists get to the point that they can understand what they're trying to do with it and um and then we from there either i research it more or then they take on the research because now they know what they're researching um, but yeah, I mean, there's all of these aspects and all of these facets to, to running your business as an independent artist that, I mean, it's like an endless amount of information. Well, the work can never truly be done. There's yeah. always something else to do. Right. And so, yeah, that's what I try to help with is, is I don't have to have my head in the creativity part of it. So I have the, the brain capacity to go out and figure out the answers to these questions and figure out what the steps are to get them done and what order they need to be done in and, and a, how B, to kind of, a, B, C, D, yeah, yeah how to organize the thoughts and the goals into, you know, something that is digestible. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at someone like the weird sisters and their branding is so on point. Like they have so accurately portrayed what it's like to actually be around them on on their social media millhouse can attest to this too because oh, yeah. <laughs> everything that they post it's like being their friend mm -hmm. you know what i mean and i just i love that when i see an artist who really has figured out the business aspect for their self, for themselves and they're independent and they're truly being authentic in who they are yeah absolutely i think authenticity is so important as an artist because that's what people are bonding with. I mean, I, I say this, I say this to in these kinds of discussions all the time that like, you know, you can love a piece of music just for the music and that's great. But if you're, if you're looking for those 1000 true fans, if you know that, um, that theory, um, you need people to bond with you as a person. So authenticity is extremely important in order to get that sustainable fan, that, that fan base that is going to allow you to be a sustainable uh, have a sustainable career which is something the major music industry right now is lacking yeah oh yeah yeah for sure 100 percent. So. yeah it it's interesting to look at because now all the uh the major labels are really just going for whatever they think can sell mm -hmm. and they're just trying to make a quick buck but there, there's very few artists that are on major labels that are having a strong long-term right output or right. output career like one band i really love is the Growlers. Have you ever heard of them before? No. They're a California band, but they, they describe their music as a uh, beach goth. Hmm. But they, they're entirely independent and they just do their own thing. They release their own albums. 
In 2016, they ended up working with Julian Casablancas from The Strokes. Mm. Um, but I love seeing that too. Just someone who is entirely on their own, running their own record label, releasing their own stuff. It's it's the way of the future. But on the other hand, you also can get very burned out. Absolutely. It's and so much. I know for myself, I have to take a step back and I have to entertain myself with something else. Mm-hmm. Because my impulses are to always go, 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 go. Don't stop. Don't stop. Keep the train on the tracks. But I sometimes I need to watch a movie, you know? Yeah. And it, it recharges me and gives me ideas to write a new song, to do this, to do that. Well, part of being a responsible uh, creator is allowing yourself the what you need in order to create, which is breaks from creating you know you have to you have to sleep you know your body has to sleep in order to be able to do things the next day you have to eat you have to eat you have to do all these things so you have to do the same things for your mind you have to separate yourself from the music or from the creation in order to give yourself the rest from it so that you can then come back recharged like you were saying like you, you have to do that and that is also but that's something that a lot of because creating is fun you know, a lot yeah. of creatives don't realize that they need to be taking breaks. And they also are like kind of addicted to the hustle too. So that's, Oh yeah. Well, also that Instagram also. and you know, social media doesn't help with that because it creates the narrative that everybody has to be doing something all the, all time, the time because everybody right. has content. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the biggest form of relief is going out into nature personally and just recharging. And it's so important to recharge because if you don't, that's going to reflect in your art like heavily. Is that what you do in order to prepare for like screenwriting? What is your process for um, that? Yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a big nature person. I get a lot of my my experience, and my inspiration from going out in nature, um, and also from sleeping, from dreams and stuff. So um, yeah, but pranic energy, you know, our life force, the breath we breathe, which is prana out there. Um, about three hours in nature, and it it definitely makes me want to go home and write. Yeah. So what are some of your influences for writing? Like, how did you first um, get involved in it? So I've been writing since I was a little kid. I wrote my first um, screenplay when I was 12. It was called Jaguar Trinity. Um, it was about this assassin who um, worked at a firm that pretended that they were peacemakers, but in reality they were assassinating people to keep peace. Um, I wrote the whole thing. Sounds like the CIA. Yeah, I was very in touch and tune. I didn't know it. Um, and I actually got erased off my computer by accident, and I lost all of it. Um, but my, my influence, I've always been a big comic book, X-Men, um, anything supernatural, charmed. Um, that's been my biggest influence. I've always kind of geared towards that. Um, but I actually recently started writing comedy um, because comedy is kind of being a female writer and a screenwriter. It's very hard for people to take you serious. Um, it's getting better. But, you know, when you tell someone, I'm a screenwriter, like, what? So a lot of people, and this is very common in the industry, they've used comedy. Like the guy that, um, Jordan Peele, that made Get Out, he started in comedy and let people be like, wow, this guy's good. And then he hit him with the stuff that he wanted to do. Yeah, it came out, it felt like it came out of left field. Yeah, um, and that's kind of where I'm going because I have a a really good movie that I'm sitting on that's very sci-fi. But I was like, people aren't going to take me serious unless I give them something that's funny. So um, I actually am working on a show, which I haven't said the name of people. I'm going to go and say it on here. It's the first time I ever told anyone. She knows. It's called Bachelor and the Peacock, and it's a BoJack Horseman spinoff. Um, I've written all 12 episodes for the first season. Um, I just pitched the pilot to a bunch of different screenplay competitions, Netflix, Hulu. Um, and it's just, it's a very, very funny 
animated show that I want to make. And I hope after that takes off and people see how great that is, I can then start to work on the stuff that I really want to do, which is sci-fi, fantasy, and things like that. So you kind of grew up a comic book geek. Yeah, I'm a huge comic book geek. I have my, um, I'm working on my first comic. Um, I'm hiring an animator. I actually just found a girl over in India um, who's going to work. I want to submit my comic to Dark Horse. Um, and yeah, have, hopefully I have five different comic book characters that I want to create. Um, so yeah, I'm a huge comic fan. I have a bunch of comics at home and stuff. What was the, like the first comic that you read where you were just into it? You're like, this is for me. Deadpool. Definitely. Deadpool, nice. Um, it was Deadpool. Uh, I forgot the edition. It was when he was with Daredevil. And uh, Deadpool breaking the fourth wall. I mean, that's kind of why I'm the sarcastic asshole I am today. Because I uh, grew up reading Deadpool. And if you know Deadpool and you read him, you understand. Um, but yeah, it was the first one. When he broke the fourth wall, Just I was like, this is so exciting. Like To me, I was just like, this is amazing. And I just got hooked from there. <laughs> what did you think of the Deadpool movie? Did you love it? I didn't. You didn't? Why didn't you like it? Um, well, because the first one, they made it more into a love movie. And um, I'm not a big romance person in movies. Um, I don't, I'm don't. i more of like action, you know, power, stuff like that. So I've never been a big fan of that. And they kind of, I mean, they got him spot on with the his humor, the guy who plays him, Ryan Reynolds. But like the whole movie was about like love and like his affair with people. And I just didn't like how they introduced Deadpool with romance. Yeah. Because so. he's much more of like a smart ass kind of like yeah, and he's semi-sociopathic not... kind exactly. of character. Exactly. And they made him seem like he was like kind of like that, but he also was like in love with this woman, which there is a whole story about death in the comics if you read with Deadpool. But I believe like in order to introduce a comic character, you don't have to have that storyline. But I feel like movies nowadays, that's what they feel like they need to do to attract attention of girls. And they don't realize that girls are also comic nerds. <laughs> So they feel like, well, if we put a love scene in it, girls will love it. And they don't realize, like, girls are already reading comics. Yeah, it's a trope. It. Yeah. Well, now with things like uh, Netflix and Hulu, there's so much great, like, TV shows and great writing that's out there. Like, you look back at something like Breaking Bad or something like that, and that was something that was on TV but really got a second life once it hit Netflix, and it kind of concurrently was running at the same time it was on Netflix and it brought in all these new uh, fans and it's not your typical story because there's no romance really in that story like Walter White doesn't really he loves his family yeah but he has this whole thing where it, it, he's an anti-hero he's not like a good guy and you look at something like Tony Soprano from the Sopranos or any of that that was really the beginning of that people don't want straightforward good guy, bad guy stories anymore. No. They want, they want the humanity aspect. Yeah. And you don't have to give everyone a love interest. Like my movie, um, that my movie script that I have, it's a part one, part two, it's called Desirulu, which is something people will learn more about. Um, the, the lead is a female. And, um, I went back and forth on, I was like, should I give her a love interest? And I was like, you know what? She doesn't have to have a love interest. The whole part, part one and two, she's not going to be with anyone. She's going to just rise. It's going to be about her rise in power. And, and how she becomes the leader of Desirulu. Um, and I think that that's so important because we feel like we got to give people a love interest. And it's like, you don't have to stick to the normal narratives of writing. And in fact, not doing that is what's going to create a new industry, is not sticking to the same old stuff. Did you watch Glow on Netflix? What was that? Glow? No, I haven't seen that. So it's uh, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. Have you seen it? Mm -mm. Okay, so... That's an acronym. <laughs> that's cool. I watched... 
I think there's three seasons of it. I watched all three seasons of it and I loved it. And it wasn't like the typical thing that I would watch, but it's all about these women who are wrestlers in the eighties and they're all kind of down and out in life and on their careers. There's there's a love story there, but it portrays women as dare I say humans, you know, versus just as a, a plot device. Because I feel like that's what ends up frequently happening with female characters in movies is their plot devices. Yeah, Harley Quinn is one of them. Yeah. I've never been a big fan of Harley Quinn, and people might hate me for saying that, but I stick to my opinion, not going to lie, because um, she was made solely as a prop for the Joker. Yeah. And then that female character has risen up, and everybody's like, that's what they're admiring. And I'm like, it, it's creating the narrative that a woman can't be her own hero unless she's a prop to a man, mm-hmm. which I think is absolute bullshit. So... Absolutely. You know, it's, it's interesting to watch on glow just because it, it's that kind of that, not necessarily anti-hero, but it portrays like the full spectrum of humanity where it's like, you're going through relationships, someone cheated. And, uh, Mark Marin actually has a great fucking role in that show. I'm a big Mark Marin fan, but he plays like this old crusty director who never really made it big. He was more of like a cult guy and his career never took off. But Die Tribe aside, you should check out that show because I think mm-hmm. you would you would really enjoy it a lot. Hmm. They were supposed to make a fourth season, but it never ended up happening. Um, I think the darker stories too are also what people are interested in these days. You look at something like the Joker movie, you're a big comic book fan. What did you think of the Joker and Joaquin Phoenix's performance? Um, I actually really loved Joaquin's performance um, because it was the most realistic version of the Joker I've seen. I'll admit, though, I'm really tired of the Joker and Batman movies. Um, I'm a huge Batman fan, but I think, especially being a comic book writer and, and knowing so many comic book characters, stressing on the same characters over and over and over again it just it's tiresome to me mm-hmm. um but yeah walking phoenix's portrayal was really good i didn't like jared leto's portrayal and the way they put it um but his was very realistic to me it put him on a side of a person instead of an icon well it he didn't really don the full joker makeup until the last third of the movie yeah and his struggle exactly and then arguably you could also what was interesting in that last towards the end of the movie in that scene where he's with Robert De Niro on the show in every other circumstance. And I think this is why Todd Phillips is a great director in every other circumstance. You wouldn't be rooting for the Joker because mm. he is like a psychopath in that moment, but you've seen all the shit that he's gone through that entire movie with his mom, with uh, Thomas Wayne in that whole situation and you have empathy for him, so you want him to fucking shoot Robert De Niro. Oh, yeah. Man. Well, you ever seen The Killing Joke? Um, No, but I've read The Killing Joke. So The Killing Joke is about Batman and how he realizes the reason he's never killed Joker is because Joker could have... He could have been the Joker. Um, and he says a comment in the story that I always quote, a villain is just a victim whose story has not been told. And I think that's so true. And in, in Joaquin Phoenix's performance, you learn how it's the same. It's the same narrative, the whole Jesus Bible thing and Star Wars. I mean, when you see Anakin's rise to Darth Vader, you know, you understand like, wow, this person's so dark. But then you see their history and you're like, oh. And then you okay. see his redemption. Yeah. You're like, Return okay. of the Jedi. Yeah. And you're like, okay, well, that makes sense why they're so dark and twisted. Are you a fan of the Marvel movies at all? How do you feel about those? Um, yeah, yeah. I think, I think they've gotten quite theatric. Um, I feel like they make them for 
people who aren't really real fans. They make sure. them for people that just want to go see movies. They're blockbusters. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Marvel thing to me, it's a little bit overplayed now. I do like the Spider-Man movies, like the Marvel with Tom Holland. I, mm-hmm. I really like that a lot. I thought Robert Downey Jr. was great, but I'm really not a big fan of, uh, of Joss Whedon. I, in fact, I hate Joss Whedon. Who is that? What does he play? So he directed The Avengers, and he also did Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, I love Buffy. And also, uh, he did the reshoots of Justice League, but a bunch of shit came out about him. His wife wrote this whole long letter calling him out for being a fake feminist. And basically, he's like a misogynist piece of shit. And I feel like that's not really a narrative that people talk about. The guy who played Cyborg in Justice League really went pretty hard after Joss Whedon and said a bunch of shit about him, said he was really rude to the women on set and kind of treated them like garbage. He treated everyone like garbage. But yeah, you you should look that up if you don't know anything about it because he's a bad dude. But that's being a screenwriter, being a female screenwriter, that you get that in the industry. I I can only imagine, like my, my whole thing with like women in the industry and everything like that, it's, it's, hard for it was hard for me when i was younger to have that perspective cuz i feel like women they get offered more stuff up front but it's also with the the implied thing of this dude wants to fuck you mm-hmm. that's oh, always what yeah. it is you yeah, know absolutely. you also um, get you get quote unquote offered things that doesn't mean that those things will ever come to fruition especially if you hold your boundaries yeah so it can come across as though women are getting all these opportunities but Yes. That's not necessarily reality. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, the way it appears to me, I, I guess, mm-hmm. is what I'm trying to say. It, it's it's almost like they're getting lured in. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like oh, dangling yeah. of the carrot. Yeah, and I, 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 I guarantee I could do an experiment where I could use a man's name and submit my writing to someone and get accepted. But submitting my, my writing as me, um, being a female, it definitely has an impact. I had a, a guy years ago, don't remember him, but it was at a show. And um, we were all talking about what we do. You know, and I was like, well, this was when I was really deciding I'm definitely going to be a screenwriter. I'm going to start making movies. This is what I want to do um, because I want to change the film industry and turn it around and make it better. Right now, it's very dark and disgusting, and I want to change it. Um, and I feel like that's my purpose. But I remember I was talking to them, and I was sitting in a circle, and I was like, yeah, you know, I want to be a screenwriter. I'm a writer. And he was like, why do you want to be a screenwriter? You could just, like, model. And, like, that hit me. And I was just like, and that's the kind of stuff that women get being trying to be taken seriously. Because you, if you're pretty or you're attractive, it's automatically guys are like, well, well, you know, what can you do for me? Like, you know, well, why would you want to do that? Like, and it, and it's me and her doing Music City Movement. We are not giving men any room for that. Either you respect us or get out of our way, and that's just how it's going to be. Yeah, you got to be badass. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Got to be a, a badass chick. Fear us. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. No, I think things are really changing uh, with probably hopefully for women with the, the whole independent thing too because all of a sudden you don't yeah, have these you're not relying on all of the exactly rec- record executives because you look at someone like uh casey musgraves i like her a lot i think she's a great artist um she's someone who had a lot of struggles up front and really couldn't find her footing because she was a beautiful woman you know what i mean so they try and peg you they try and make you a certain thing. Mm-hmm. And every artist deals with that to a certain degree. But for women, I feel like it comes from being judged off their appearance mm-hmm. and what they have to and offer. And years of years of oppression of females being 
the cookers and the cleaners told to shut up. Men are talking. Be quiet. Men are talking. Mm-hmm. You know, I always never stood for that. From a small age, I was like, I'm sorry, what? That was just always something I never stood for. And I feel like more and more women today are starting to be like, Again, you the internet, like that. You know, there's power in realizing that we're all seeing seeing women be powerful and successful you know even in their in their communities or in their their whatever their niches that they're accomplishing um we all get to watch that happen and realize that we can do that for ourselves as well yeah it's it's the tide is really turning i think in a lot of ways right now um across the world because of the internet also in america um everything is changing you know, everything that we knew was changing, or at least the perceptions that we had were destroyed in 2020 on both a micro and macro level, and it broke mm-hmm. people's brains, mm-hmm. especially, I think, the older generation. Because oh, yeah. I feel like with people our age, most people are fairly libertarian in their mindset where they don't really give a fuck. Like, either way, like, what your sexuality is, what your race is, what your gender is. No one really cares. There, there are people who do actually care. But for the most part, it seems like everyone is just like trying to do their thing and be cool. Yeah. yeah. The media just makes it seem like everyone's against each other. Oh, yeah. Because what else would they do? Right. Well, there's power in division. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's again... It's a chess game. Exactly. It's, it's all the, chess. The age-old tale. It's happened time and time and time again. We've seen empires rise and fall throughout history, and history is repeating itself. And I think one of the more negative aspects of the internet, we're seeing this all in real time. And shit like that's been going on right now has always been happening, but now we see it. Mm -hmm. We see a a police shooting right away. We hear about a tsunami that happened in fucking Malaysia or some shit. You know what I mean? We have people's cell phone videos, so we don't have to believe what's being fed through the news outlets. We can see what actually happened right in front of us. Yes, but the news outlets are concurrently trying to be like, well, that's not actually how that happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy. Well, it's easy too when it comes to light and darkness. Darkness thrives off of stealing light. So in that term, people being good and trying to document things, of course, darkness is going to take that and try to turn it around and use it in their own. That's where critical thinking and thinking for yourself comes in, comes in play, and not listening to anything. I'm I'm a big person of firsthand experience. You know, like I, that's why when I look at stuff on the news, I see chess being played. So I don't feed into that. And I'm like, unless I can experience that and get a firsthand look at it myself I'm not gonna listen to whatever these people are saying because exactly what they want you to do is to believe what they're saying I think that's the perfect spot to end it can you plug your social media all that shit where can people find you all that good stuff yeah um, our music city movement is at music city movement um, my personal uh, music related Instagram is at Jenna listens yeah um, you can find me at the Michelle Stone the Michelle Stone um, I have an official website, themichellestone.com. <laughs> Very easy. Um, all my writing and stuff is on there. And when it comes to my screenwriting, um, you will see that in theaters or on Netflix or Hulu. So, Like the show, tell a friend, subscribe. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week. This podcast is produced to you by Taylor Miller.